to a very busy episode of the Watling and Owens show. Matt Watling, as always, joined alongside Luke Owens. And Luke, we typically like to kind of get underway with a little bit of banter and, and back and forth. And if this was a different show, I would unveil the news that I am, you know, getting my my uh, fitted for the tuxedo on Friday. Much to right. your joy. We're, we're not that show because we've got so much to talk about here. And, you know, from the Mets and their, their thumbs down that you were giving us on screen here just a few moments ago to the Giants, you see their starters in the first preseason, in the last preseason game, their first as really playing and, and getting involved. Not some of the best things you'd like to see. And then the, the Yankees even dropping a couple of games here after rattling off 13 straight wins. But Luke, we start with Law Mets. And I wrote oh, yeah. this down this morning. So Everyone knows what happened with the thumbs down and Javi Baez basically using the thumbs down to, to boo the fans, so to speak, is, is basically what Baez said. He said, he said, uh, I'm not even trying to find the good quote for it, Luke, to explain it. But he basically said that they, the fans, got to be better. I play for the fans and love the fans. If they're going to do that, they're going to put more pressure on the team. So the thumbs down is our way of booing them is basically what he was saying in an earlier quote. And I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it earlier in the day, Luke. And I said, I'm starting to think this Mets team is cursed. Like, like cursed, cursed, right? Like the Chicago Cubs 108 years cursed. Because this is, is so crazy. And it stems from three players in particular. It's Baez who did it. It's Lindor who did it. And it was uh, Pilar who did it. Now, granted, those are the only three guys that actually performed on in Sunday's win. And were actually the only ones able to even do the thumbs down for getting on base, right? But it was those three guys, and I just don't know why Baez is saying it, right? You can have this inside joke and mess with the fans, you know, internally all you want with the thumbs down, but you could easily said, oh, this is our way of, you know, a rallying cry. Like the Yankees had the thumbs down guy, which you tweeted about earlier on, Luke. Why couldn't the Mets just say, oh, yeah, this is us just being silly. Why does it need to go to the fans need to be better? The fans are booing us, and we don't like that. Yeah, I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts, and I think the, the first point you hit on about the Mets being cursed, it's like, it's kind of like in jest, but it's not, because when you look at this team and this franchise, it feels like every single time, and I said at the beginning of the year, I said, why can't the Mets just be a good team? You know, why do we need Donnie Stevenson? Why do we need all this, you know, extracurricular stuff? And, and it happens again, and I don't want to pile on the Mets, because I think there's been a lot of that, but I mean, we have to analyze this for what it is, and to me, you know, Looking at this from the lens of, of an outside perspective when you first see it and you hear Javier Baez's comments, to me, I, I kind of chuckled because I was like, all right, that's pretty funny because, you know, the fans, they're going to boo. Uh, and if you boo them back, that's kind of a funny concept. But if you really dive into it and you think about it, I mean, it, it's a really bad look and it's really bad timing because this is a team that hasn't performed well, specifically guys like Javier Baez that they acquired at the trade deadline, specifically Francisco Lindor, who's going to make $300 million. Uh, for for the next 10 years with this franchise. And, and that's a really bad look for uh, two guys that have to, they really have to be better. And fans pay money. They put their heart and soul into the team. And I get it. It's unfair to be booed sometimes. We talked about it in the beginning of the year with Stan. But if you're not performing, the fans are going to let you hear it. And, and that's a staple of New York sports. I'm sorry. You either, you either take that or you leave. Because at the end of the day, this is a very passionate fan base. A lot of people regard it as the most passionate fan base in baseball. And it, 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 if I'm a Mets fan today, I'm, I'm a little ticked off because this is a team that hasn't performed well. You know, if they were a team that was, you know, 20 games over 500 and Javier Baez had a five strikeout game and he's getting booed, 
maybe he's upset, but they haven't performed all year. Like, you're going to hear from fans if you're not performing. And I think that's what gets me the most, Luke. And I, as I've been sitting and stewing on this throughout the day, you know, last night I was red hot. I was so mad. I'm like, how do you even think this? Like, how can you boo the fans, yada, yada? And now I'm sitting here, I'm like, maybe I just don't really care about this. Like, maybe that was the, the outrage in the moment. Because I'm trying to compare it to anything else I've experienced, Luke, and and I haven't, right? Because when the Yankees get booed, they own it, you know? And I don't want to make this Yankees versus Mets, because when the Jets get booed, they own it, right? Joe Douglas has never said, oh, the, the fans need to be you know, lighter on us. We're trying our best. The Jets have never said that, and they've been so bad for the last several years now. But if, if I'm an Islanders fan, and I'm thinking back to the, the days when we booed them really bad, you know, before Tavares in those really dark times, they deserved it, and they understood that, right? Like, they internalized it. They didn't come back at us. And if they did, as a season takeholder, which my family was for a little while, we would have just – we would have still went to the games because we loved the team. But you feel like you're getting shut out from your own team, right? And, and I understand there's a dynamic that's very different between fans and players. And I don't love the idea of I pay your salary so I can do whatever I want. But it, it, it's booing. It's not forever. It's not death threats. It's voicing displeasure because you're because you stink, and, and that should be okay. Like if I'm a player and I'm getting booed, I don't like it, but I'm using that as motivation. I'm using that as some sort of fuel to get better because I know I'm playing poorly. But I but it's also something that you know it's an ode to say, look, we actually care about you, right? Like it's not like they're saying we hate you. It's just you're playing terrible. You need to fix it. And I think that's kind of what Javi Baez and Lindor and Pilar are kind of missing out and. For Mets fans, the thing that's really scary about this is not that Baez is doing it because he's gone after this season anyway. He's been terrible. He's been so bad. It's been probably the worst trade at the deadline that any team's had in the last, I would say, a couple years. You give probably a top five prospect of yours, a former first-round pick for what will probably be 40 games of this guy to not make the playoffs. But the real issue is with Lindor, Luke, because you've got him for the next 10 years. He's played terrible this season. He's been worse than Ahmed Rosario, which is crazy to think, you know, the player he's been traded for. And on top of that, he was already outspoken about how much he hated getting booed early in the season. And maybe that wasn't as warranted, right? Because you want to give him some grace period. But this is fully warranted. He's been terrible all season long. He deserves to get booed. And if he can't deal with it in year one, what about next year or 10 years from now? Because that's still a 10-year contract. And that's, that be a, might be a contract, Luke that bites this team right in the butt. Because if he can't play in New York, then this team's screwed. Yeah, and when you look at, I think, another aspect, because you mentioned the whole, like, oh, we pay our salary, we can do whatever we want. And you kind of said, like, that's unfair. And I agree that's unfair. But, you know, these are fans that are putting, you know, their hard-earned money into go watch this team. You know, it's not like, it's kind of a disconnect between the players and the fans. Because for fans, it really feels like, you know, they're, they're putting a lot more into this. And, and I, I know that's kind of a weird thing to say because obviously players, this is their livelihood. They obviously love the game and things like that. But for fans, they have to go out of their way to go to the stadium, to pay for parking, to pay for a ticket, to get to the stadium, to pay for concessions. And if their team's not playing well, they're going to let them hear it. And that's something you experience really anywhere, but it's, it's obviously very amplified in New York. You know, if you're at any football game and, the, and you know, the offense is going three and out every possession, you're going to hear some boos, but that's just expected. And if you're, you know, a Mets team that was in first place, that dropped all these games, that hasn't performed, you're going to hear some boos. And I think it's it's another comparison to say, you know, anyone that doesn't perform at their job is going to hear it. I mean, 
everyone should be held to that standard. And if you're not performing well in your job, someone's going to tell you about it. You know, not to say that the fans are their bosses. And we've heard, uh, you know, their, their actual boss and Steve Cohen and Zach Scott and people like that haven't been all that thrilled with them either. So for the fans to react that way, to me, it, it's pretty normal. And I, I think the worst possible situation, aside from, you know, this Lindor situation, because this is obviously the, the kind of the micro of it, but on the macro level, a divide between the team and the fans has to be the worst possible thing that could happen to a franchise, to have a team fighting against its own fan base. I can't even think of the last time that that's happened. I mean, we, we've seen booing, we've seen things like that, but to have the team kind of go at, you know, fans on social media, to really get all defensive, to really put out some, some kind of wild statements at times, it, it's only doing more harm. There, there's nothing good that can come out of that. And look, we talked about it just before the show and said, like, this Twitter thing is getting out of hand. And I'm all for players being on Twitter and tweeting at, you know, the trolls and, and the haters and all this and that. But it just looks really bad when you're, when you're going back at fans unhinged like this, you know, because there's clearly a reason why you're going back and forth and it being the thumbs down. To me, it just looks really bad because you, you are, you're kind of attacking one specific fan in, in that setting, right? And, you know, for Stroman to tweet highlights of his, of his play during a loss, I don't love to see it, but I get it, right? He's always going to be, he's very active on social media. He has his apparel brand. He's going to go for engagements and tweets and yada, yada. But for Pilar to tweet about it, for Tywan Walker to, to post cryptic pictures of him walking off the mound in a Mets jersey, you know, a couple times, I just don't know what good that does for this team or for these players because you're right, Luke. If there's a disconnect, it's not going to look good. It doesn't look good on the players. It doesn't look good on the team. And that's why I go back to the idea of this team might be cursed because how does this only happen with the Mets? And and I thought Sandy Olsen and I thought Steve Cohen did a pretty good job with it. I'm kind of surprised Steve Cohen didn't go at the Mets players a little bit more than he did. Uh, Luke, you weren't too happy with this tweet coming in last night when he said, I missed the days when the biggest controversy was black jerseys. But earlier today, via Joel Sherman of the New York Post, he said, these are young guys and sometimes we forget they're on a public stage and can make mistakes. They hit the third rail, though, by messing with fans, and it's unacceptable. Hopefully, this is a teaching moment, and they will learn from this. Like, that, to me, was kind of a surprisingly softer take by Steve Cohen, but I do like the idea that both him and Sandy Alderson defended the fans and, and pretty much said, hey, look, this is on the players, not you guys, because if they didn't, you know, sure, they might lose the locker room, but losing the fans is a lot worse. No, I like that second statement more than that. I don't know, the original tweet, I think, in that moment felt you thought it was in poor I taste. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was in poor taste because I think that some fans, uh, and you know, I was going through the the Mets Reddit, and obviously Reddit's not a good place to get you know actual opinions. But I think there's a, a real collection. You mentioned uh, I haven't listened yet, but on the Michael K show, there are a lot of fans that were upset about it. So I think there are a, a good portion of fans that are upset it, and I think it's maybe some of the older fans or maybe some of the middle-aged fans. And, and these are fans that have poured, you know, years of, of their lives into this team and, and put a lot of money into the team and, and things like that. So for them to be upset, I think Steve Cohen maybe came off as a little, a little light and maybe it's trying to, to ease the tension. And I get that, but I, I think that was my main problem was that in that moment, it kind of felt like he was taking it not so seriously. And maybe we're taking it too seriously, but I think at that time when all the players were kind of going off on Twitter and everything was kind of rolling out. It just felt like kind of odd timing, I think, for him to say that. But I think the second statement was was good because Sandy Alderson kind of went bad cop. 
and see if Cohen kind of went good cop. And I think it, it, it probably works out at the end of the day where that rift between ownership and players, I don't think will be there. Right. And maybe we are overreacting a little bit, Luke, but I think for me, the thing that stands out the most out of this scenario is that a lot of these players on this team and specifically these three, and I'm sure there's more, I think Stroman arguably is, is in this conversation as well. And maybe even Taiwan Walker after his Twitter back and forth, but he wasn't as bad. I would say the biggest thing I get out of this is that these guys don't have the stones to play in New York. They just don't because all three of them have not had great years in buys being terrible. These last 20 games, we talked about Lindor Pilar has been whatever, but he was never expected to do much. But if you can't play in New York, I don't want you on this baseball team if I'm Steve Cohen or Sandy Alderson. And now you've got to sit through another 10 years of Lindor. You know, sure, the season's a wash, but that's an issue to me. And I kind of wonder what the culture of that locker room is if they're just going at fans like that. You know, if there's that much animosity and they're not saying, hey, look, we need to be better. You know, where's the, where's the leader of this team saying, look, they're right. We deserve to be booed. We stink. Let's go out there and prove them wrong and internalize that instead of saying, basically giving the fans the finger because that's what they've been doing. Yeah, and I think that's the the thing is you have to sit through Lindor. You know, you don't have to sit through Pilar and, and Javi Baez and things like that because they're going to be gone. And, you know, you're going to have to deal with Lindor. And Lindor is a guy that I think even before this year it was kind of, you know, he, he was not made for a small market because I think he has the the game usually and the, the, the charisma to be on a big market. But he's also a very kind of, positive upbeat guy and I'm not trying to turn that against him but when things are going so well sometimes you have to kind of you know deal with them in stride and and I think the way that he's handled this was definitely in poor taste especially if he was one of the the guys that was kind of behind the original sentiment of booing the fans because look it, it could be a case of you know Baez you know misspoke or, or maybe he didn't want to say all that but now the players have rallied behind Javier Baez and, and that's probably what you want but at the same time, Javier Baez isn't going to be here next year. You know, Francisco Lindor is. Like, he's supposed to really be the face of your team because, you know, DeGrom's your best player, but, you know, Lindor's the guy that is, is playing every day that's, you know, flashing that smile, that's answering media questions. I remember earlier in the year when he was hearing the boos, he kind of just kept a smile on his face, but you could tell it was starting to get under his skin. So maybe that's part of the reason why his performance has been so poor this year. And, th- and that's scary, right? And, and, Luke, I don't know if I told you this. I know I was talking to Pat and Mike. Uh, you know, last year when he signed or when he was traded. And I said, look, he doesn't need to get signed right away. You want him to get signed because you traded some assets for him. But given the shortstop market coming into this offseason, there's three or four all-star caliber shortstops that are going to be free agents, right? There's the kid out in uh, Colorado whose name will lose me. There's Seager, Trevor Story, Trevor Story Seager, Lindor, Correa, who's arguably the best of, of all of them. Marcus Semien. Yeah. Semien. You don't need to sign Lindor. Yes, you traded assets to get him, but as long as you bring back in a shortstop that's at his level, you're okay, right? Because you're not going to use those two pieces after you sign the shortstop, right? Those two pieces being Rosario and then Jimenez. So the idea that they had to sign him so quickly, I understood it. I supported the contract. I thought it was fine. But maybe looking back for revisionist history, Luke, maybe it wasn't as necessary to sign him then before you really understood what how he played in New York, because right now, if you're looking, if you're a Mets, if you're Sandy Olson, are you signing Lindor to that contract again? Probably not. No, no, and I don't think any of those guys will even sniff three hundred million dollars. And it's it's a hundred percent revisionist history, and I think it's important that we 
clarify that because at the time it was okay give him every dollar you can he's a great guy to have you traded you know some pieces for him you want to keep him here for a long time but now when you look at it it's kind of like wait maybe we were wrong in that moment we should have thought about it more because you know steve cohen you know we've heard all everything about his money he has all the money in the world he can do whatever he wants with that money no one was going to outbid him for francisco lindor if he wanted him you know the only way that francisco lindor would have left is if another team uh, or, or it would be if he just went to another team and took less money, which was probably unlikely if he had a good year. But now it's like you look at it. I mean, Lindor wouldn't even come close to $300 million in free agency right now. And I don't even know if it's the money more or the years that is really the issue because the money's whatever. I think I think the Mets are still going to spend. You know, some teams will have a contract like that. You know, like after the Rockies signed Arenado, it's like, okay, that's it for them. They're not making any other signings. But for the Mets, it feels like they can they can handle a few of these contracts. But it's really the length at this point. And now it's becoming, it's not a movable contract. Like Lindor is going to be here for 10 years, you know, whether he likes it, whether Mets fans like it or not. And I think it's really important for him to mend that relationship. Javier Baez, whatever. He can get booed the rest of the year. He can go elsewhere. He can get booed every time he comes back to New York. But to have a fractured relationship between, you know, the guy that's making the most money on your franchise and the fans is a really bad look in year one. Right. And Trevor, uh, not Trevor, uh, Dylan McGlynn, Luke, chimes in in the comment section on Twitch saying uh, story is greater than Lindor in his opinion. And I sure. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't disagree. I don't really agree on it, but the idea that you rushed into signing a guy this big a contract is, is rough to me because Corey Seager plays in a big market already out in LA. He knows it, right? Correa had all this media scrutiny with or scrutiny in general with the, cheating allegations or, or the cheating in general and he was able to bounce back so it feels like with Lindor who never had expectations out in Cleveland was the fun-loving guy that everybody loved he never experienced that those issues that and that struggle and now he faces it and just and sure you know there's adversity at all levels and he faced adversity to get to baseball but in terms of playing on the biggest stages in in the sport in the MLB He's had a great career. He's never seemed to struggle. And this is kind of his reaction to his first time struggling. And it's disappointing for a Mets fan. It has to be. Because he hasn't proven to me that he can be better. Or that he can take this in stride in a, in a better way than he has. Yeah, I think a lot of times when you hear booing, like, you know, we talked about with Stanton and things like that. And Gary Sanchez. None of the guys like that. Obviously, they don't want to be booed. But a lot of the times they come out and say, look, we have to be better. You know, we have to play better. But for the Mets players to kind of immediately throw it back onto the fans, I think is, is not the best idea. And it, it's just so weird how uh, it's been handled. And, and one thing I wanted to read, I, if you saw me looking down at my phone, it was because I was trying to scroll through Marcus Stroman's tweets. And it took about 10 minutes to get to, to the reply I wanted because he tweets so much. Um, but it was, it was under a Kevin Pillar tweet um, where he said, uh, love y'all felt nothing but love in New York. No, I'm not booing the fans. We're having fun. No different than this year, uh, earlier when they were doing the, the, the threes up, uh, please don't look too much into this, which first of all, that was a weird statement from Pilar because he's basically saying, no, we're not booing the fans. So I, I don't know what that's about. Nice back pedal. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know what's up with that. Um, but the issue is Marcus Stroman replying to Pilar. He says, facts, media always searching for anything to cause controversy. Stop playing into these narratives. It's all fake BS. We won today. That's all that matters. On to the next, not dwelling in the past. Same mindset we've had all year. Thankful, thankful for this squad. So there's a lot to break down there. And first of all, I'm sorry. You know, you can, you can blame the media for a slew of things if you want to. But 
Javier Baez said the thing. No one, no one made him say that. No one forced him to say that. The media is saying a quote that Javier Baez had. So no one's running with some made-up story or anything like that. That, that was my first issue with, the, with this quote. Um, and I'll let you speak on that before I break down the rest of the quote. No, I, there, there's a lot there. I agree entirely, and I think if it's not booing, then Baez should come out and say, hey, look, I misspoke. Because you see when he was speaking – you could see how uneasy his voice kind of was. And I wonder if he kind of got lost in the moment. You know, not everyone is the best at public speaking, Luke. And sometimes even on this show, I specifically, you not as much, get caught into some kind of wormhole trying to vamp, you know, and you say some ridiculous nonsense. Mostly me. I won't lie. That, that's usually me. But no, that's me too. Hand, hand he, he didn't come out and say, hey, look, I misspoke. I just meant to say... You know, we were doing a thumbs down as as a as an ode to the fans. Say, hey, look, like we did something good. You know, maybe we deserve a little cheer. Because if he didn't spin it as, hey, we're booing the fans, if he spun it as, hey, look, like we're looking for some sort of gratitude or appreciation from the fans, then I get it. Because you're not attacking them. You're saying, hey, look, when we do something good, we want to be celebrated. You know, yeah, it's a little soft because you got a base hit. It's it's not like you just won the game. But at least that's more understandable. But he never said that. And for Stroman to say, hey, look, it's the media's fault. He blames the media a lot, and I understand it. You know, the New York media specifically is very, very strong and aggressive. But let's be real. It's not the media's fault here. It's just not. It's not. And then the other the other kind of, as he goes on, when he talks about we won today, that's all that matters. That's all that should matter. But guess what? We're not talking about that. We don't care that the Mets took two or three from the Nationals because there's another kind of side circus show going on, you know? I've said it all year. Why can't we just talk about the Mets straight up? There's always something. And then – to kind of end it with thankful for the squad. I know that's kind of just him saying I'd back my guys. But it kind of feels, you know, Paul R went in and said, you know, I love these fans. Stroman's not saying any of that. Stroman is saying, you know, I'm with my boys. Uh, it seems like he doesn't really care all that much about the fans think, which, you know, maybe people thought that about Stroman before because he's a guy that's very, you know, quick to, to send a tweet on Twitter to kind of hype himself up, which is which is fine. But maybe after a loss, not the best look. And I think that's why you know some people are against him so it was a bad look overall from Strowman. he's had a really bad day on twitter i mean in my opinion i mean he's been going at a lot of people um a lot of people that we love which also makes me upset so not Who not a great love. day for mark the great michael k when did you go michael k uh in the in the thread he uh he he, he actually accused michael k of being racist which was Really, feels I like a I little bit of a reach. Go to bat for the great Michael K. I didn't even see that. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to send it to you. It's uh, it's deep in this thread, but um, he basically, I'll, I'll send it to you right now on Twitter. He he screenshotted something, and then he was like, "This, you know, this is why uh, you've had many co-hosts, no minorities, stuff like that. We know why he's ripping on me. It, it was a real, I think, a real shot in the dark. I mean, as someone that's, you know." seen michael k for a long time i mean at least publicly he's he's definitely not he's definitely not that so i i don't know he says that um he said oh part of the reason is that he hasn't had a uh, minority co-host which i believe michelle beetle you know a, a woman you know is considered minority in, in this field was on the show um i'm not gonna get into that luke but that's just i don't know why they're 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 throwing He's throwing yeah. you know, shots uh, at him. Yeah. Gary Sheffield Jr. backed uh, Michael K. in the tweet underneath it from what I saw. But Don't know if that's not... a good thing. But No, is he a uh, – he, uh... He's an interesting guy on Twitter. Uh, you would not be a fan of, of Gary Sheffield Jr. But um, 
Actually, really? no one's really a fan of his, I should say. I don't know why I said you. Really, is he, no is he Gary Sheffield's son? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. The one that didn't pan out. His other – actually, sidebar, his other son is, like, good at baseball in high school, and they're, they're like, he should have named that one Gary, not this clown. Yeah. <laughs> and he got really mad. Um, the other quote I wanted to talk about, Matt, is the, uh, the Luis Rojas. When he's talking about uh, – I, I think you kind of touched over it already, but when he's talking about – guys getting used to playing in New York and he says that you know probably that's why he's sharing inventing it's a learning experience there's different guys that probably felt that way coming into here and probably not performing immediately but they but they learned how to deal with it and they know where the fan base is coming from so this quote from from Rojas I think I give Javi a pass in that sense maybe because he didn't choose to be here but Lindor signed up for for 10 years with this team with this fan base with this city like you you can't you have to know what you're getting into when you when you go to New York. Like everyone talks about it, everyone knows, and all the guys that go there say, you know, you can talk about New York as much as you want, but it, you know, once you experience it, it really is a different thing. So, I'm sorry, but Lindor, you signed up for this. Like you wanted this, you wanted the bright lights, you wanted the pressure, and if you're not going to perform under the pressure, then this is what's going to happen. He wanted the money, baby. He saw the money and ran with it, and I can't blame him for it. But you also now can't blame the fans for you know, treating him in this manner, right? Because, look, he deserves to be booed at this point. Um, Luke, why don't we get into Odd Man Rush a touch earlier than usual just because I want to wrap this up. We've got still got the Giants to talk about, which I really want to talk about. But briefly before we get to Odd Man, uh, the Jets have acquired Shaq Lawson for a six-rounder from the – or for a six-rounder from the Houston Texans. Uh, the 27-year-old was a former first-round pick of the Bills. And is actually expected to start for the Jets. So anytime for me at least, anytime you can get a starter or someone that's supposed to start for your team for basically nothing, I, I think it's a win. He's not the best player in the world. You know, Luke, you can attest for that. But for a team that need, had a need on that defensive line, they filled it with a guy that can play defensive line. So I'll, I'll give them credit. He's a guy that knows football, and he struggled for most of his NFL career, but there, there's some hope maybe that he can be, you know, average or be up or above average at this point under, you know, Rob Sala. Yeah. A guy that came out of Clemson with a lot of big expectations. I know I was, was pretty excited when the bills went after him. He, he had flashes. Like he's had flashes of being a really capable NFL starter, but he, he's also battled uh, a lot of injuries, but I really like this trade for the jets. I mean, they get a guy that has some potential. I know I've seen a lot of people say, you know, maybe Sala can kind of unlock something from him. And, and I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Um, so I like to deal for the Jets. Look, they need guys. They need they need guys in the D line. I mean, at the end of the day, their depth wasn't exactly the strongest at this point in the in the rebuild. And obviously, losing a guy like uh, like Lawson, the the first Lawson, not the new Lawson, Carl Lawson, uh, was important. So I like to deal for the Jets. I think it definitely helps out. And you know, we'll see. And and honestly, outside of Lawson, the Jets the Jets have a really strong D line still. I mean, you'd love to have Carl Lawson there, but I mean, Quinton Williams took huge steps last year. They made a couple other additions too on that D line, so I, I think the D line will will actually be okay. That's definitely not my biggest concern for the Jets defense. Yeah, for sure. But I think part of that issue and 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 having that elite line was going to help that secondary. And when you when you lose, yeah, you that, know, that your only true. edge rusher in Lawson, and then you lose that that guy from uh, Detroit due to um I think blood clots. I forgot his name off the top of my head. Oh no, they lost the guy from from, oh, from uh, Philly from Philly, and then they lost yeah. the guy from Detroit too because of another injury. Oh, the the linebacker. Yeah, different position, but you lose three guys in your defense, and all. Jared Davis, you're talking about. Yeah, Jared Davis. Well, he's only gone for six weeks, actually, so I take that back. But when you lose some key pieces, right, 
in terms of that that D line with Lawson and then oh, who's the other one? It wasn't Kyle Phillips? Who was it? Oh, the the one that the that one retired. Yeah, out of the or, or had the like the the blood yeah. clots. I don't remember his name. He wasn't going to do much, but he was still you know he's a third down kind of guy. But <laughs> he's right, a let's, body. let's let's throw Todd Man Rush now. Get me out of this rabbit hole, Luke. Take it away. You're going on a Javier Baez uh, path that you just you can't get out of. So we, we just talked about that. So thank you for the example. Uh, we got a lot to get to an odd man. I have a very loaded odd man. A lot of stories to get to. Uh, we started off with some football talk. We've got rumors surfacing about the Miami Dolphins' interest in quarterback Deshaun Watson. Uh, that package would include multiple first and second round picks. Uh, the the Dolphins have neither confirmed or denied the reports. Um, but head coach Brian Flores said, "We have a high standard for the people we have in the organization. We want people with high character throughout the building. So maybe Deshaun Watson, not the guy for the building. If 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 everything comes out to be true, yeah. And I mean, this is a way for him to, in my eyes, it makes it seem like he's saying I don't want him, right? Brian Flores, at least in my eyes, and I think so." This is a team that would do very well if Watson was their quarterback. But we're not talking about that aspect, right? From a purely yeah. football standpoint, he does make your team better. Oh, yeah. But I was also reading on Twitter, Luke, that – and it was uh, a Dolphins fan that said it in, like, the comments somewhere. And he basically said, look, every single move the Dolphins made this offseason was to help Tua get better, right? The offensive scheme, I believe he said they had, cha- it had changed – you add a wide receiver weapon, you add a lot of, you know, investment into this offense. And it's all gearing towards helping out to attack by Loa. And and that I guess is the route that they're taking, which is, you know, another thing that can't be taken lightly, right? You know, they, they seem to have some trust and ability or idea of to his abilities. Yeah, and why shouldn't they? I mean, they drafted him high. He was a great prospect coming out, had the injuries, didn't get to play a full year. Uh, didn't have a mini camp, didn't have a preseason last year. So why not give him a chance? I like Tua. I think he still has the chance. I didn't I didn't love what I saw last year, but I don't think that tells the whole story with, with how uh, how weird everything was. But I think any team, it could be the Dolphins, the Eagles, whoever's been rumored, anyone that trades for Deshaun Watson right now, I think is taking a really unnecessary risk because you're going to move your entire future for a guy that you don't know if he's ever going to play again. And to me, that would be really ill-advised. Would you be more comfortable with the trade? And obviously, you know, the Bills don't need to trade for Deshaun Watson if it was one first-round pick. Like, if you're an Eagles fan and they trade one first-round pick for him and you're you're the Eagles and you say, listen, we made this trade waiting to see what happens and waiting to see what happens to Deshaun Watson, whether or not he's convicted, whether or not he's found guilty, you know, whether or not the NFL decides to suspend him, and we want to ride it out. So he could be suspended for two years. When he does his time in those two years, we want him on our team. Would that make you feel comfortable? Like, does he deserve – would yeah, you no. want to give him that second chance? And, and maybe that's part of the loaded question, but would you be willing that is or more comfortable to see your team make that move yeah. for a lower pick? So forget the, before forget you, the second chance. Before you added the second chance. Forget part, that part, yeah. I, I, was, I was with you. Would you no, take yeah, that I, risk I think... on a potentially busted asset? Then I would if it's a first-rounder. It, it's the whole – the thought of, you know, three first-rounders, three second. Like, you're throwing away your team for the next three years for a guy that you don't know is going to play. But if you put up one first-rounder, it doesn't work out. It's not the end of the world. Um, I mean, look, he at the end of the day, like, from a football side of things, he's a top-five quarterback in the NFL. And if you can get your hands on him uh, at, you know, if he's able to play, um, then it's worth it. But it's just such a weird situation – 
I don't know what's going to happen because the NFL hasn't said anything, and his hearing's not till February. I know the Texans don't plan on playing him, but I don't know. If, if they got a, an offer they like, then then maybe it would happen. That's I a don't good know. move by the Texans not to play him. You know, at yeah, at a, a level of hey, look, like we don't want him playing until we know what happened. It looks good on PR, and also, you know, helps them be terrible for a high draft pick. So, yeah, and you mentioned know. the Eagles. They they don't need Deshaun Watson because they've got a new quarterback in town. Gardner Minshew is headed to Philly for a six round pick. This was kind of surprising to me because you know, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is the guy. He deserves all the starts, but. I mean, we saw what happened with Joe Burrow last year with that offensive line. The Jaguars in a similar situation. I'm not trying to manifest anything here, but, I mean, you never know. You just never know with injuries, with, with performance and things like that. And to just kind of hand him away to the Eagles was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, me too. And, and you almost feel bad for Minshew because you look at his numbers and you take away his name. He's had a solid career, right? I'm not going to go yeah. out there and say he should be a starting quarterback. But for him to now be in – Philadelphia and he's like the, the third or fourth string quarterback on that team Luke I don't know I have to pull up the depth chart but he's not going to be their he's starter third. he's their third quarterback how does that even make sense he's behind Joe Flacco I don't know why, why did the Eagles make this move even that doesn't make sense I know a lot of people saying they don't really trust Hurts but, but then I Joe mean, Flacco's your guy at that point you see yeah I, I don't know I think this is a situation where Hurts will start I think the Eagles maybe start playing okay then they they do terribly and then we just see Gardner Minshew come in I, I don't know why else I think they're gonna be really bad this year I have no trust yeah, in Jalen Hurts rough. at all I think he's gonna be I don't think he's an NFL quarterback I think it goes beyond Jalen Hurts even though like he could be okay but their defense stinks they don't have any weapons on offense like they're Devon in a bad Smith. spot for sure. the great Devon Smith yeah I, I like Devontae one. Smith a lot but I mean it's tough when you have no offensive line and you just have Devontae Smith I don't know and Nick and, Sirianni, and, and the great uh weird guy and the great, uh, oh, what's his name? Zach Ertz. Miles Sanders. Oh, Zach Ertz. That's right. He hasn't gotten moved yet. So, yeah, I think they're going to be pretty bad. But, yeah. Um, it's ugly. See, speaking of the Eagles, oh, did you have another point to make? No, that's it. No, it still be ugly. Like, speaking of the Eagles, speaking of they tied the New York Jets uh, 31 to 31 after a James Morgan Hail Mary to the Jets' elite Kenny Yaboa. As time expired, uh, oh, it's then Josh Adams. Yeah, what do you think I, I it was? I was like, yeah, boy. <laughs> Kenny, yeah, boy, with the Hail Mary catch, sends it to – or there's no overtime, excuse me. Josh Adams runs in the two-point conversion. Game ends in a tie. No Zach Wilson. Uh, there was a kind of a delay in the game because of weather, and then I don't even know if they plan on playing Wilson anyways. But we didn't see Zach Wilson, but we did see an exciting finish to the Jets preseason. Yeah, I – Sure. They they go undefeated for the first time in however many years. Feels good. Does it Feels count if you tie? Well, it's, they didn't lose. Yeah, that's true. So they yeah. are undefeated. Yeah, they were one. never defeated. That's true. Yeah, so good for the Jets. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this team. I really am. I'm so excited for football season, and it's nice having no expectations on the Jets because I can just sit there and exclusively watch Zach Wilson. And, and Luke, I'm going to say something that you're going to be proud of me. Wow. You're proud of me for saying this. Zach Wilson, he, he gets the juices flowing more than Sam Donald ever did. Wow. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I think it's the – the honestly, and this is me backtracking, and you might have to pull me back out of this, maybe it's because the offense actually has him throw the ball deep instead of just, like, running the ball and instead of just 
doing like dunk passes like Adam Gase had him doing. But I mean, the Jets have completed, have gotten at least a first down on every single drive that he's led. That's exciting. And yes, it's against nobodies, but he's doing it right. He's doing it, and and there's nothing you can say about that. No, I'm excited too. I think it's gonna be a fun year. And like last year, there were you know they didn't have like Super Bowl expectations, but they were expected to be okay, and they ended up being terrible. So now. It's like people expect them to be terrible. So if they play to an okay level, you're going to be thrilled. So they're, they're in a really good spot for that. And I'm, I'm excited to watch them too. Um, some some uh, some bad news from Ravens camp. J.K. Dobbins is out for the year after sharing his ACL in the final preseason game. Kind of turned into a whole thing. You know, it, it turned into a why do we play preseason? Uh, why do we play starters in the preseason? J.K. Dobbins actually liked the tweet saying, why do you play starters in the preseason? And then John Harbaugh was asked about it. And he said, uh, there are other teams that don't play their guys at all. They don't play their starters for one snap. We are probably as close to that as we've ever been. I know we're farther down that road than we've ever been. We play, <laughs> we played our guys so little this off season. It's just because we, it's how we've done it. But anytime a guy gets hurt, you ask yourself those questions. So basically, he's saying, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done it, but that's what we do. We want to get our guys ready for the regular season. Um, you know, that could have happened in week one. Who knows? But it is tough to see something like that happen in preseason. No, it, it certainly stinks, Luke. And I'm trying to pull up how many snaps even. Or how many rushes he even took this preseason? I can't. I'll have to go through the game log real quickly. But that's sort of the question that we saw with with the Giants too, and and who they went with, you know, because you never really know. And 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 to me, hindsight is kind of twenty twenty in the sense that if I'm a team, whatever my coach's philosophy is, I'm going to back that up, right? I mean, Dobbins had three carries against the Saints. That was in the first game for no yards. He had. Let's see here. Four in game two. And then what? In in this last game, he obviously got hurt against Washington and went on to carry the ball two times. So he maybe had 10 touches and he gets hurt on them. Like, again, how do you how do you blame Jim Harbaugh for that or John Harbaugh for that? It was 10 touches. It just seems like a fluke incident. And, And that's the question is, do you do you start your starters? Or do you bench them entirely and just hope they're ready for week one? Luke, did we lose you? Oh, boy. And we got him. All right, let's continue on, man. Let's just pick it up where we left off. Crazy story here uh, where ESPN airs a high school football game between IMG Academy and Bishop Sycamore. Bishop Sycamore may not exist. It might not be an actual school. It's listed as uh, online as an online-only high school uh in ohio um but it has a blank about us page and just uses the the page to to recruit players um there's also uh, a graphic that came out about the uh the team that said uh where is it let me see um their head coach currently has an active arrest warrant and most of their players are junior college dropouts who are nowhere near high school age so espn aired this game IMG Academy beat them 56-0. Kind of embarrassing if you're the uh, the college kids that are pretending to be high schoolers and lose 56-0. They'd also played two games in three days. Um, how does this happen? How does ESPN have a, a school that doesn't exist play on their airwaves? It's well, crazy. Well, Luke, inside sports media, on um, Awful Announcing said that ESPN doesn't do their high school programming. Yeah, they they outsource it to somebody else. Uh, the name off yeah. the top of my head eludes me. But this is on Bishop Sycamore, man. How do you not have a better website 
or webpage. And also, like, what's what's the goal here with these players? Do they just want to play high schoolers? Like, are they trying to get back to college? What are they trying? I think they're to trying do to get here? to college, but like the colleges will know, like, hey, like you're not in high school. Like, what's going on here? Like, I don't know. I don't know because you have uh, Anish Sharaf, who was the uh, play-by-play guy for the game. He said, like, we were looking them up, and nothing comes up on these players. They don't exist in recruiting databases. Like, no one knows who they are, and I don't know. It's it's insane. I can't. I can't. It feels like the most insane story of all time. It is. It's wild. I don't even I had to a great say about, about it. it though. Oh yes, congratulations okay. on starting for them on quarterback. I the, the new quarterback for uh, Sycamore High. I so. imagine you're also going to, you know, put up zero points. Probably, yeah. Is that embarrassing? Like some JUCO guys losing fifty six nothing. I mean, IMG Academy is like they're stacked, right? But they're not really a school either. But yeah, they're they're literally made for sports. I mean, they they are a school, but they're made for for five star recruits to to play for. So it's not, you know, they're, they're no slouches, but they they blew them out. And I, it was funny because a lot of people were like, "How could the coach do this? It's so dangerous." Because the high schoolers had to play two games in three days. It's like I don't even. They're not even high school. I don't this even have to play two games in three days. I know they must have been dying. Look, you got you got a lot I, left because I want to get to this Giants talk. We haven't spoken about them. In all right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll go to one more story. Uh, it's Lions quarterback Jared Goff. He expects the Lions to compete for a division title. He said, "Quote: We feel really good. I've talked about this at length internally. Our expectations are win games and first of all, win the division. That's always the expectations. Win the division and then go from there." And Matt, the Lions actually have better odds of having the number one pick next year than winning the the NFC North. This is kind of like when Joe Douglas says, put some respect on the Jets' name. You're just talking hot air. Or CJ Mosley. We'll blow you out. Don't don't sleep on us. But at least CJ Mosley's saying, hey, look, you guys have to actually prepare for us versus, you know, Joe Douglas saying, we don't stink that bad. And and Jared Goff saying, we're going to win the division or or try to win the division. I would hope they were going to try. That's good. Are the Lions going to be that bad? I think they're going to be pretty bad. I don't know. I mean, what would change from last year to this year? How, how bad were they last year? I mean, probably better staff. off. They won, what, five games last year? Because they had a top 10 pick. They took Sewell, who apparently has been really bad and uh, pre- who's been pretty bad in preseason as well. But he also hasn't played so, in like a year. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. So it's a rough it's a rough go for uh, for rookie offensive linemen and second-year offensive linemen as well, as we know from uh, the, the New York Jets and the New York Giants. So – I'll hand it over to you, Matt. There you go. How about that for a transition, Luke? Oh, yeah. And and I think the biggest the, – there's two question marks on this team for the Giants. And it's, is Daniel Jones the guy? And the second one is, can this offensive line be anything? And at, after the preseason and three games, we don't know the answers to that, Luke, because the starters played just a half of football across three games. And it happened last night. Daniel Jones goes 17 for 22 with 135 yards passing, an interception at the goal line, excuse me, which was really bad. And, you know, you say, oh, look, 17 of 22, that's pretty good, right? Like, that's a decent completion percentage, all that good stuff. It was 6.5, like, yards per attempt. That's horrible. That's Sam Darnold-level garbage. And, you know, there's a lot of questions about this team. When it comes to their offense, in the sense that, do you trust the offensive coordinator, uh, the former coach Jason Garrett, you know, out of Dallas? Do you trust Daniel Jones? Do you trust this offensive line? And all of those things 
fall on Dave Gettleman and to some extent Joe Judge. And it's it's hard for me to sit here and say, you know, I'm satisfied with this Giants team after the preseason because we just don't know. And it felt like a lot of people, on the other hand, were really, really critical of the Giants, but we just got done saying, you know, preseason doesn't matter. So it's it's hard to quantify it or even qualify what we think they're going to be after just one half of preseason play. Yeah, I don't know if we can say what they're going to be, but I think we can say these are still questions that remain to be answered. Like, Andrew Thomas being picked, what, what was he, fourth overall two years ago? Like, that's going to – that could be a real bad – I mean, you look at Dave Gettleman and his history, his three biggest picks are probably the three biggest question marks for this team going into this year between Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley. Um, and, look, you can't tell anything from – everything from preseason but I think one thing you can say is you know I saw the you know what you were alluding to Jason Garrett being dragged on Twitter but if Jason Garrett knows his offensive line stinks how can he design plays that are 20 yards down the field it's just so hard and I'm not saying that Jason Garrett is some genius play caller because I want to see Daniel Jones let loose and I hope he lets him let loose but it's tough when it's you know a it's a preseason game so he's not gonna be throwing you know everything out there but b it's like I can't let my quarterback sit there and get killed when, you know, guys have to try to get open because my line can't block anyone. So it's kind of this weird place where we have to evaluate Daniel Jones this year, but how do we evaluate him? You know, I can really see us falling into the Sam Darnold trap where it's like, he doesn't have an offensive line. What what do we do here? You know, what, how do we, how do we know this? But I think some of that blame has to go to Gettleman, like you said, because he was supposed to put an offensive line together. You know, he's had years to put an offensive line together. This, this isn't something that takes a year, you know, that takes, uh, you know, five years to do. Like, you can put an offensive line together, and he hasn't done that. And I, I think it's really tough. And it's it's tough for Daniel Jones, the kid that's coming into this year with a lot to prove, with a lot of expectations. And I, I don't know. It's going to be so hard to evaluate him. And I hate it because it, it felt like he was the perfect quarterback to evaluate because they got some weapons for him, seemed like he was going to have a good year. But now it's like, man, the offensive line again is going to be a problem. And that's what's so disappointing, Luke, because – this team, it's it's live and die by your quarterback, right, in football. And this team's primed to go if they could just get quarterback and offensive line play. And those are two big esque, right? I mean, the quarterback position is the most important one in all football. But this defense is great. This is a this could be a top 10 defense, Luke, at the end of this year. And maybe even top five if you want to go real crazy. Right? Adore I'll say Jackson, top 10. What? I'll say top 10. Well, I said if you want to go crazy, you could say top five. Well, I think I think I think they're a good defense, but I think that with a little bit of a tougher schedule this year, it's just how it works with defenses. Like we saw with the Bills last year, so they still have a really good defense, but when you play good teams, it, it just kind of it goes backwards. Also, I imagine that it's going to look a lot worse when your offense is on the field for ten minutes a game. Yeah, when they're three and out and punting every time, it's, yeah. it's tough. And and then you add in, you know, Evan Ingram gets hurt, Darius Slayton gets hurt, like. Kenny Galladay doesn't play. So it, I don't know. It's it's so tough. Like I, I almost feel more optimis- optimistic about the Jets season than I do the Giants season right now. But also it's because of the expectations you had, right? I mean, we had expectations for this Giants team to be able to win the division, right? And they still very likely could. And that's what's unfortunate because right now we sit here two weeks before the season starts and we don't know anything about this team. You know, we they might as well have not played that half of football. And the thing that I think was tough for me, Luke, and I tried to explain it and express it while you were gone. I didn't do a very good job of it. 
but I was basically talking about Joe Judge, and I can't, I couldn't find the quote or the audio, but I'm paraphrasing it. I heard it on uh, DCR this morning on ESPN uh, in New York, and Judge basically said, "Hey, look, I don't regret my decision, but I also want to see, or I also wish that my guys needed more reps, right? Daniel Jones, the offensive line needed more reps for chemistry's sake. Why didn't they get those reps in the preseason, right?" Because this team, it's different than the Jets, where the Jets, they can grow over time. This Giants team expects to make the playoffs. And if you have that expectation, you want to come out firing, especially when you look at the schedule you have. Because early on, this is an easy schedule. It gets tougher later on. And if your offensive line isn't ready for Denver or Washington or Atlanta, three teams, you know, the first two have great defenses, but, you know, their offenses are very big question marks. If you can't do anything against those three teams and you start the season 1-2 and two or 0-3, oh you might as well kiss the season goodbye because you've got Dallas in Week 5, the Chargers in Week 6, Kansas City. You know, Vegas is an okay team, probably in a similar boat, boat as the Giants. You know, Tampa, Miami, you know, the, the Chargers, you know, the Rams was that first team that I had mentioned. Dallas again. You know, like this is a tough schedule for this team, but the earlier part is what's the easier side of it because of the offenses you're facing – and if your offensive line can't get it together up for that point, that's where it just screams trouble for me. Yeah, especially when it's like, oh, we need more reps for for Jones with the the starting offensive line. Saquon Barkley hasn't been in the mix. And, you know, you took the words out of my mouth, and we've been saying it for the past few weeks, is those first two big games for the Giants are so big. I mean, they're so, so winnable when it comes to uh, Denver and Washington. And, you know, we could be sitting here, and, and the second game's a Thursday night, so it's a quick turnaround, like, we can't be sitting here on that Monday, the, the Monday after looking at an 0-2 Giants team. Like that, well, that's the Friday. Worst. Oh, never mind. We don't have a Friday show. That's why I yeah, said Monday. Right. Well, I'm sorry. I, I thought – you think my wheels aren't turning? I'm always thinking. I'm Luke, always thinking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. You should be. But those games are so important. And, and for, for, the, for Joe Judge to say that, I think is interesting. And I, I would like to, to eventually see that because, like, couldn't he have just played them more? Like, if he felt that way, couldn't he, couldn't he have worked it so they would get some more snaps together? Or is he just saying, we haven't been healthy enough to, to make sure that everyone could play together? I don't think it's that one. I think he wants more snaps to get them together. But also, again, he, he said at one point, you know, a week ago, you know, on the 22nd of August was, was the date I had seen it. He said, look, I want to keep my guys healthy. And he didn't regret the decision to, you know, keep his starters out. And, and use the practices as that point to gain chemistry, which I understand. But for this team in particular, when you have so many questions and you need to win early on, I don't know if that's the best decision. Yeah, I don't know if it is either. And I'm I'm pumped up to do to do win win loss uh, loss win for for the Giants on Monday. Jets because a week from today. Oh, we're gonna run it next week. Oh yeah, it's true. Football will be back. That's right. Yep. Oh man, I'm so excited. Why oh, we, it's going to be a great year. Why don't we wrap up with the Yankees, Luke? Because that's a team that we really didn't get to all that much or at all today. You dropped the final you know two games. You, want, you know why we don't talk about the Yankees like that? Because they're all they, all we talk can talk about the Yankees is usually their performance on the field. They don't have the the Mets. You know, I don't want to get into like the, oh, like the Yankees are, are holier than thou and they're this righteous brand. But at the end of the day, they don't. Stories like the Mets story, they just don't happen with the Yankees. They, they, don't, they don't happen. I'm sorry. Derek but, Jeter would, would love being booed, Matt. He loved it. He relished in it. I don't know why, but the idea of everyone's bringing up Derek Jeter in, in that <laughs> Mets story just really bothered me. Oh, it was so funny. Just because, like, why do we need to go to Derek Jeter? 
Like Derek Jeter, I could have went, I could have pooped on a dinner plate and gave it to him at a restaurant and he would have thanked me for it. Yeah. It's like, let's not compare anyone to Derek Jeter because he's just a different dude. You know? No, yeah, I know. Like, if you 100%. want to say A-Rod, that's a great example because A-Rod was hated. You know, A-Rod was, was more flashy. He was more of a talker, you know, or anyone in New York. Like, there's very few guys in New York that, that go out and, and do this whole song and dance about why they shouldn't be booed. You know, everyone just takes no. it in New York. And, and that's kind of how it, how it should be in, in this market. And for the Mets to, to go out there and, and just turn it on, it was just annoying. But, but let's get back to the Yankees, Luke. You know, you, you, you caught me on a, a stir here. Uh, no, this... I, I mean, I brought it up because it's, it's true. I mean, we've seen guys in, in pinstripes get booed all the time, and they don't react that way. They just don't. Especially Stanton. I mean, that's the perfect example. He says, look, yeah. I deserve to be booed. Or, you know, I wish I wasn't, but I need to be better. And or I think that's the best answer. Four home runs in five days. That too. Good way to shut up the booze, am I, right? I mean, but this Yankees team, Luke, they might be catching some boo birds quickly. You drop two against oh, yeah. Oakland, erases a 13-game winning streak. Uh, you know, the offense was struggling. The defense was struggling. The team just was kind of losing it. But also, let's be real. Like, they've been on a tear for the last two weeks. You know how hard it is to continue that? So there, there was almost some expected drop-off. But what's important now is to make sure that you go out there and you beat up on the Angels. And you, and you win these games that you have against lesser teams because ultimately you still need to win games. You're still four games back, or six games back, rather, of the Rays. And if you want to avoid the, the, the wild card, which seems like it's likely to be against the Red Sox, you know, it's obviously nothing set in stone yet. But if you want to avoid Chris Sale in a wild card game and you want Garrett Cole to be able to pitch in the divisional series, you've got to start winning games and, you know, winning more than the Rays. Yeah, and it's so hard to do because the Rays just they just don't lose. I mean, how often does a team go on a 13-game win streak and only gain like two games on the team ahead of them? Like it's very rare, but the Rays have just A, they've been that good and B, you know, they have played the Orioles a lot recently, but look, everyone plays the Orioles the same amount. The Yankees lost them four times this year. The Rays only lost once. So, you have to beat up on them. The Yankees have another chance to beat up on them this weekend, but just a really interesting week for for the Yankees because they've, you know, they've got to take care of their business, but you know, they're going to keep an eye on that scoreboard because the Red Sox and the Rays meet seven times in the next 10 games. And I think you have to root for Boston and then hold up your end of the deal, which is winning games. Because as much as Boston wins, and as much as you win, you can gain on Tampa. But if Boston wins and you loses and you lose, you're going to fall to that second wildcard spot. So it's such an interesting series. Uh, Tampa Bay right now leads Boston three to one. So it, it's just so weird. It's kind of like that um, to a lesser extent. Well, actually do. To a more normal extent for this, but you know, with the whole conversation about the Mets fans uh, rooting for the Braves or rooting for the Yankees, well, now it's like you have to root for the Red Sox, but I think Yankees fans know that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's tough in this scenario just because you don't want to get caught, and it's almost like, hey, yeah, we got exactly. to root for the Red Sox. It's so weird. But it, it's a catch yeah. twenty-two. It's you know, we're all in on the Red Sox, and then all of a sudden the Yankees start losing, and you know, you're back in a, in a tough spot, but. When you kind of look at the standings, and Luke, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for the Yankees, you almost would be okay with the second wild card if it means that there's a chance you catch the Rays. In the sense that, you know, does it really make a huge difference yeah. playing that game on the road? Maybe it does, right? But I think that I don't think home versus away gives you a huge difference when it's Red Sox Yankees, and you know it's going to be loud wherever you go. No, no, I totally agree. I mean, you want to be home, but like. 
Yeah, you, I mean, you said it. I'd, I'd much rather have a chance to catch the Rays than be worried about securing the first wild card, especially when, uh, you know, the way that it kind of looks like it's going to shake out, it looks like they're going to be hosting a wild card game against the Red Sox. And, man, that's such a crapshoot. That's the toughest part. You know, Chris Sale on the mound against Garrett Cole would be would be so fun if they could line up the rotations like that. But it's also such a crapshoot. I mean, I could see Chris Sale dominate the Yankees uh, and they lose like a, a one nothing, a 2-1 to one game. but. I mean, you want the division. It's just, man, Tampa Bay, they're no longer a feel-good story. They're just, they're just really good. They're just, they're, they've really just become a powerhouse in that division. And it's kind of unexpected. I mean, we both thought the Rays would drop off. The Yankees would win the division this year. But it just doesn't seem to be the case. Luke, they're 9-1 in their last 10, the Rays. When yeah, the Yankees were, were on that winning streak, you know, they were 8-2 and two in those games. You know, they were 9-1. and one. They would never drop below, like, a, a, you know, to 6-4. and four. And, and that's what makes a really good team. And it's... It's kind of scary to see how good they've been, but I really wonder if they're going to kind of be a team that just never seems to put it all together to win a World Series just because they won't make that splash to get that one or two pieces that might put them over the edge. Even if it's not the greatest value, sometimes you need that extra piece just to get you over the top. Yeah, that'll be the next question because I think in a playoff series, I still think the Yankees could take the Rays. And maybe that's me being naive, but I, I, I still think they have a little more firepower. They just the Rays do. got off to a better spot. Uh, better start. Yeah, oh and, and they beat down on the show. Orioles. A way to end the show, full of, full of anger and frustration about the Mets. Full of me slipping up when Luke decides to just leave the show for a little bit. You can catch it all on the podcast if you missed any minute of the show on Spotify. Give us a follow at Watling and Owens at Matt Watling ninety nine, and of course Luke, your Twitter at Luke the Kid three. Although you're twenty two years old, we'll catch you guys on Wednesday, same time, same place on Twitch TV.